Craft Beer Radio presents the 2012 Saver Salons. For a fifth year, we recorded the salons at Saver. This year, there were 18 in all, 6 educational salons and 12 private tasting salons. You can find all the Saver podcasts, including the ones from the past five years, on our website at craftbeerradio.com. Private Tasting Salon, a taste of Oregon from local Northwest Ingredients. This salon featured Oakshire and Standing Stone Brewing, along with cheese from the Rogue Creamery. I am Ginger Johnson. I am uh, with Women Enjoying Beer. I am the I am the only beer educator and researcher that I know of on the planet that studies women and their relationship with beer. Um, and so I get to be here moderating salons. I was here last year. How many of you have been to Savor before? Ooh, impressive. So first timers? Excellent. Welcome. Great, great, great. Beer, of course, as you know, is an incredibly social libation. So we are here just to start you off on the right foot. Thanks for supporting Savor. Thanks for supporting um, locally made beer and uh, your Brewers of America, two of which are sitting to my sides. I have to run through a little housekeeping, uh, and then we will dig right into the session because I know you're all thirsty and hungry. So this is terrific. Of course, uh, Savor is brought to you by the Brewers Association. It's the national nonprofit organization that supports the small and independent brewers of America. Uh, if you want to know more about that, um, you can go on their website, of course. And then another great site, maybe a lot of you are aware of, is craftbeer.com. Some of you heard of that one? It's an excellent site. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. Lots of great food, articles, goings-ons, festivals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, of course, we've got a lot of supporters that make Savor possible. I'll just share a few of them. This one, um, we've got the Ray's Beverage Group, which gives us these lovely lanyards. They are a distributor, bringing the beer to us uh, in the retail setting as well. Abita Brewing out of uh, Louisiana. Brewery Omegang. Dogfish Head in uh, Delaware, Sam Adams, craftbeer.com, Allagash, and so many more. So when you see those people tonight, please give them an extra thanks, if you would. It's a really important deal, and maybe you know this already, too, but Saver landed in D.C. to get the attention of the legislature to let them know how much beer brings to our economy. Like, did you know that there's more than 100,000 jobs because of our small and independent brewers? That's a pretty cool thing, especially this day and age. So... With no further ado, I'm going to introduce these two fine gentlemen to my sides, and then we're going to get into the session. I'll pick Matt first. They're both thinking, no, no. So Matt Van Wyck is the brewer at Oakshire in Eugene, Oregon. He is a very accomplished brewer, and he's quite modest, so I'm glad I get to introduce him. Uh, Matt is not only an award-winning brewer, but he's brewed uh, for five different breweries, which is not terribly uncommon. You, you learn at one place, and you keep going and keep learning and so forth and so on, where the opportunity goes. And he is with Oakshire. Uh, you've been with Oakshire for three years, and he's been a professional brewer since 2001. He was a home brewer preceding that, uh, just couldn't keep his hands out of a local brewery, and so they finally let him you know, sweep the floors and and mop things up and so forth. And frankly, that's how a lot of people actually get in the door. So if you're willing to clean, you could be a brewer. So Matt is uh, one of our fabulous guests tonight. The other guest is Larry Chase. He is the brewer from Standing Stone, another fantastic brewer. And for, in the interest of full disclosure, he does happen to be my husband. So I'm a little extra proud of him, but I do love Matt too. So Matt knows that. Larry has been a brewer since 1996, so he is also a well-seasoned brewer. He's been a brewer with three different breweries of different sizes and also an award-winning brewery. And when I say award-winning, usually those are awards that happen by your peers. Um, so those are even more 
outstanding or meaningful because you usually get feedback and so forth to help you continue your growth as a professional brewer. Larry is currently with Standing Stone Brewing Company, which is in Ashland, Oregon. It's about 15 miles from the California border on the five, as we call it on the West Coast for some reason. I don't call it that, but that's what they call it. So if you're a Californian, where do I go? Oh, you take the five. Oh, okay. It's got a proper name. All right. Very good. Um, and so these two gentlemen have brewed some beers, especially for Savor. I hopefully that you will find them uh, particularly delicious. The great thing is that we get to introduce your palate to beer tonight. And so I'm really glad you're here because we get, you get the best shot at these extra special beers. These are all beers that are lighter in uh, gravity or in alcohol by volume. So it's a nice way to warm up to the evening as well. We've got four fantastic cheeses from Rogue Creamery out of Central Point, Oregon. And um, they are uh, another award-winning um, establishment. And in fact, they, you can get some of their cheese here in the D.C. area. And you can order it from all over the country. So with no further ado, we've got four different beers to go through. You have fantastic staff standing by. It was here last year. And Nina and the rest of the people, they just do a great job. If you need anything, look their direction, and they will take really good care of you. So the first beer we're going to start with is on your program. If you didn't get a program, raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. Okay, thank you. The first beer you're going to get that will be poured directly is um, the I Love Oregon Ale. And we're going to have Larry talk a little bit, a little bit about this um, ale. And there's, of course, you've got the umbrella of beers, you've got lagers, and you've got ales. So it's not beer and ale, it's not beer and lager, it's beer, and then you've got ale and lager. This one happens to be an ale. So Larry, why don't you tell everybody about this I Love Oregon Ale. I Love Oregon Ale is a specialty beer about a year ago. We'll, we'll switch mics. Started out about a year ago. We brewed it for Oregon Craft Beer Month, which takes place in July. And the concept behind it was let's brew a beer with ingredients that all come from Oregon. And, of course, in Oregon, hops are easy to come by because uh, Oregon's the second largest commercial producer of hops in the country. In the, the malt, though, happened to work out in that there is a malting company uh, called Great Western Malting that has sourced barley that has been grown in the Klamath Basin of Oregon. And so the Klamath Basin is in far southern Oregon. In fact, it's only about 60 miles due uh, east of us. And the Klamath Basin actually encompasses both that central southern Oregon and down into California. So we were able to get this malted barley, and we used 100% of it. So it's a single malt uh, beer. And then we used uh, hops from the Willamette Valley. And in Ashland, we also have a local organic hop grower and they make cascade hops and so we took this uh, whole cone hop and we dry hop with it right in the serving tank so we take a big nylon mesh bag and we fill that bag with 10 pounds of these hops and put it into our serving tank and the beer changes then because we don't take those hops out until the beer is gone and so when you first start serving this beer when it's freshly on tap the hop flavor is not nearly as big as it is, say, two weeks later after those hops have had two weeks to soak. Uh, so the beer that you have in front of you, uh, the beer, when we actually kegged it off to send out here to Savor, had probably about two and a half weeks on the hops. So you, you'll notice a really big uh, upfront hop aroma uh, and flavor. A little bit of a lemony uh, character to it, 
and it uh, comes across uh, quite strong. Uh, the bitterness on this beer, I call it an IPA pale ale style beer because uh, the hop aroma and some of the flavor is probably more on the lines of an IPA, yet the alcohol content and the bitterness, uh, we're only at about 40, 45 IBUs, and the alcohol content are probably more like a pale ale. Uh, so a uh, little bit of a, a, a combination beer. Uh, and so this beer we did for the uh, Oregon Craft Beer Month, and... It was just going to be a specialty beer, and that changed, and, and changed for the good. Uh, we had so many requests for it, and of course, uh, it, it's a big seller for visitors to Ashland. Uh, Ashland is the home of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, so very tourist-driven town, and people love this beer that uh, has this name, I Love Oregon Ale. Uh, so we've turned it into a year-round beer, and uh, it's, uh, it's going over really well for us. And so we're pairing that tonight with uh, cheese, uh, which is the uh, lavender tuvel. And frankly, I don't know which one that is on your. Do we know which is the lavender tuvel here? So it's the one with the two pieces is the lavender tuvel. So before you dig in, if you don't smell your beer already, which I see most of you are, please be sure to smell your beer. Stick your nose right in there and take a couple of nice medium whiffs. We're such sensory animals, and I'm guessing that most of us smell something we put in our mouth at one point. So it's important that we smell our beer because it's a huge part of uh, the enjoyment. And then, of course, smell your cheese. And then while you're tasting all of these tonight, um, make sure at one point you have some of the cheese and some of the beer in your mouth at the same time because of the mixture of the flavors gives you a whole different kind of experience. And even though we're leading you through this, we strongly encourage you to play around with your food and your beer. So, indeed. Matt, do you want to say anything about this uh, cheese and beer pairing at all? I just want to mention something about using local ingredients when you brew. I, how many people in here are um, home brewers, have done it, like to do it? A couple? Uh, I don't know if there's any professional brewers in here, but if you've made beer or want to make beer, there's no reason you can't use local ingredients, especially when you're on a small size like that. As Larry was mentioning, we're very fortunate in Oregon to have hops, fresh hops that we can go right to the field and get, and local small farmers and big production farms. So we have that. But there's a host of other things that you can use, um, even if you can't get grain that was grown in your state, um, like honey and spices and herbs. You can certainly use things from your garden. So the biggest, I guess, the challenge here is you're having some things that are made with Oregon ingredients and made by us in Oregon. But put some local ingredients that you grow in your backyard into your beers. Uh, just makes gives you a better connection with uh, what, what you're drinking. Absolutely, um, thumbs up, like this one. It's tasty, very good. It's uh, the carbonation is nice and uh, I don't know if dainty is the right word, but it sounds awfully nice. Um, it's, it's a smaller carbonation, um, and you you let some of your beers naturally carbonate, and then you augment them with some carbon dioxide, correct? Yeah, all of our beers are naturally carbonated up to the, the highest point that we can get. Uh, we do top it up just a tish with 
forced carbonation uh, just so that the beer doesn't appear flat. If, if we were going to be serving cask beer, uh, we'd be just about right. Since we don't serve cask beer, uh, we w don't want the... Uh, People think the beer is flat if we don't bump it up just a little bit. But I would say four-fifths of the carbonation that we put in our beer is natural carbonation. And Matt, do you, uh, do you do the same thing with your Oakshire beers? Yeah, ours are both ways. We'll um, capture some of the carbonation when it's almost finished fermenting by um, capping the tank. But then most of the time, we um, will add CO2 through a carbonating stone. And most production breweries do that. I, I should mention the difference, too, between... Uh, Larry's Brewery, which is a full uh, small brew pub. Ours is a production brewery. We have a little tasting room. So our beer is sold in kegs and bottles throughout Oregon and Washington um, and a little bit over our tasting room bar. But we rely on our distributors and our restaurants and bars in the area and grocery stores for our bottles. Um, so we're producing it a little faster and don't always have time to let it fully carbonate in tanks that way. And it works. Excellent. How many of you have been? Is there anybody else from Oregon in the room? All right. Where are you two from? All right. Very nice. Our state capital. Excellent. And um, has anybody else been to Oregon before? A few of you? Okay. Please come out. They will give you a free pint at their respective breweries. Yes, absolutely. Is this working? Okay. <laughs> Lots of great things. Uh, uh, something ridiculous like 80-some. There's... Yeah, Oregon has one of the highest per capita breweries per person in the country. It's quite astounding. All right, let's move right along with that second course. Um, and, and take your time. You can, you can have them pour it in a plastic cup if you're still enjoying this first one. But Nina, and what's... Jaime? Excellent. Jaime, thank you. They will, they will pour the beer you want. Um, and then if your glass is empty, I see, you know, you guys are all pros. This is excellent. Rinse your glass and maybe even drink that water because you're going to get dehydrated. <laughs> Don't do that. Maybe it doesn't. I was just going to mention, though, that even though we're stepping through each cheese and each beer separately, there aren't a lot of rules to this, and there shouldn't be when you're tasting beer and, and cheese pairings. So if you want to try a little nibble of this cheese with this beer. Remember that tasting is subjective. There aren't really any true rights or wrongs because your palate certainly may be different than someone else's. Uh, Larry and Ginger and I were very fortunate to sit down at Rogue Creamery and do a, an afternoon of tastings to find the cheeses for this. Um, rough work for us on that afternoon. But we went through a host of cheeses that Rogue Creamery makes, which are fantastic, but you know, we all had our different opinions. So if, if you think a blue would have been better with that last beer, maybe that's you take a little try and see if it works. And maybe something's a train wreck in your mouth, and you're like, ooh, those two don't go together. And that's okay. You might as well find out. Matt, can you say a little something on why beer and cheese go so well together? <clears throat> this is a perfect combination, beer and cheese. And I know some of you, I, I know you're educated on this because um, uh, we in the beer industry have been trying really hard to, to let people know that food goes with beer. And uh, that's why you're here tonight with this event. But cheese is an excellent pairing for beer because often cheese has a, a fatty characteristic. You know, it's made from cow's milk, goat's milk, sheep's milk. Um, and you've got this kind of heavy palate coating creaminess to a lot of different cheeses. And you need something to, to pull that kind of fatty flavors off of your tongue. And carbonation does that, for one. The second thing is bitterness provides that palate cleansing. And some beers have an acidity to them, uh, like the last beer that we try, which is a sour ale. And it just helps to clear that off and get your palate ready for the next bite. Indeed. You know, wine's great. So um, we're going to pull a Julia Hurst. Push your glass down for a second, please. 
If you don't know who Julie Hers is, she's with the Brewers Association. She's a dynamo. She's on the floor tonight. So raise your right hand if you drink wine. Raise your left hand if you drink beer. Cross them if you drink spirits. Wow, we got a whole room of cross drinkers. This is great. Excellent. And you know, I think that's a great thing because as a researcher, it's better to be a geek than a snob. Always. Keep your minds open. Go out there, try things, and don't disparage somebody else for their choice. The fact that you, most of you, if not all of you, like all three, what a great crossover. I mean, how many of you have had, how many of us, I'll say, have had some sort of barrel-aged beer? You know, those are, those are great and what, wow, flavor, you know, blow your mind kind of stuff. And, and it's just rethinking what beer is in America, and it's, it's quite astounding. So the next cheese we're moving on to with the next beer, in fact, we'll have Matt talk about the beer here, but let me make sure and give you the right guidance for the cheese. It's going to be the Smoky Tuvel, and it's going to be the one that looks kind of reddish. Okay? Everybody got that? So Matt's going to tell us about this beer. This beer, isn't it? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my bad. Thank you. Okay, and so Matt's going to talk about his graduation ale. Okay, this is a similar style to what Larry presented the first time. It's a um, all-organ ingredient again, and it is a pale ale. Um, I call it a multi-grain pale ale, and the reason is on brew day, I was uh, I used also the Oregon Select two-row that we can get from our supplier. It's grown in Oregon. I wanted all the malt to be from that. And I decided to throw in some wheat and some rye and some oats. And so I, it's got four different grains in it, um, including the barley, which is, is usually the base of the beer. Um, and what that does is those oat flakes and rye flakes and the wheat give it a little bit more of a fuller palate sensation, a little bit of a softer. Uh, it interacts with the hops, making a little bit of softer bitterness, uh, a little bit of a full body. So that's the multi-grain part. And then I also used hops that were grown in Oregon. Um, we have a supplier that's south of Portland called Indie Hops. It's a newer hop uh, processing facility. And all the farmers that they work with are Oregon growers. So I knew what I bought from them would be Oregon hops. And then we also make a year-round a honey, um, a rye pale ale with honey. And we have a honey supplier, an apiarist, who is about 40 miles away from our brewery. And so we put a blackberry honey into that beer. And it's our summer seasonal. So I called her up and asked for a different kind of honey, and she had a, uh, a chicory honey, which is kind of a woodsy, earthy sort of flavor to it, and I put a little bit in here. I don't know if that flavor of the honey comes out into this beer, but it's another Oregon ingredient that I was excited to put in there. Most honey is very fermentable, and the strongest honeys will give flavor to beer, but sometimes it just provides a touch of sweetness and, and not a lot of the actual honey flavor. But maybe you pick it up in there. And then, um, did I get to all the ingredients? Um, it can a little bit. Um, I think it depends uh, on, on how you're... Oh, sorry. Thank you. Um, Ginger asked, does honey give the beer any viscosity, any you know, th thickerness, mouthfeel? And I think it can. It depends on the yeast that you use because most the sugars in honey are pretty fermentable. And so it may give a little mouthfeel, but most of the, sh the, the, the sugars in honey get eaten by the yeast and turned into alcohol and CO2. Um, chicory honey... Oh, yes, and then the last thing I was going to mention is why was it named Graduation Ale? Um, we made a rye pale ale last year, called it Graduation Ale, uh, made it at this time. 
of year when graduations are happening, and it just flew out the door in about six days because everyone was, hey, I'll get that for my party. Hey, I'll get that for my party. And um, we make single-batch beers at Oakshire. We have a year-round beers, seasonal beers like every brewery does, and then we do these single one-time-only beers that are draft-only, and you can just get them once. And it's great for me because I get to play around with different beer styles. It's great for the consumer because you always get to come into our tasting room or around to bars around town and say, hey, what's new, what's new, what's new? And people love to get the new beer from us. We made 40 single-batch beers last year, so I can just brew kind of whatever. And they're gone just like that. Well, this one we made this year. I, I knew Larry and Ginger asked me to do this salon, and I thought, well, I'm going to use all the organ ingredients, and we're going to put it out at this time when graduation parties are happening. So it's a marketing thing is what the answer is. And successful at that. Has anybody had any of Oakshire's beers before? Okay, one. All right, very good. Go ahead, finish chewing, and then you can let us know which one that is. He's enjoying it. This is great. Um, they, they do a nice roundup. The other nice thing about the beers that you're having tonight is they're relatively low ABV. <clears throat> so you can enjoy these alcohol-by-volume um, beers. Um, and, of course, when you pair them with food, you dilute some of that alcoholic effect, which is really nice. Every brewer in America, without fail, wants you to enjoy their beer. They want you to savor your beers, hence the name of the event we're at. So... Encourage your friends, encourage yourself to make sure you enjoy them in moderation, always. That's the key to savoring and uh, responsibility, and this message was brought to you by nobody else but me. Um, <laughs> the first beer, the I Love Oregon, was 6.1%, and the um, graduation ale is 55 so those are both very moderate. The vast majority of beers in America are going to fall between 45 and about 6.5%. Yes, there are concentrations. We're on, we're on the West Coast. We've got the extreme beers coming out our eyeballs. So they're, they're all over the map, which is great. But it's also nice to see beers like by Patrick Rue of the brewery in Placentia, California. He's making blow your socks off, your tonsils and your taste buds to the moon with 3.5% Belgians. They're extraordinary. Yeah, that's right. Nod your head because that's what it's all about. They are fantastic. Flavor, flavor, flavor. That's what the fun is. So um, you can rest easy that these are nice moderate beers. And um, we're going to go ahead and go with a third one. Does anybody have any questions? And use the mic because you get to be recorded for posterity. I can repeat the question too. Matt, what was the hop variety in graduation ale? Uh, we used a hop called Meridian, and it's a newer hop uh, that's just put out by this company, um, Indie Hops. It's been around forever, and there's an interesting story to it. Uh, Oregon is a big hop producer because, one of the reasons is because Anheuser-Busch had a lot of hops growing in Oregon, and one, the main hop in Bud, Bud was Willamette. And way back when, when they went to deciding what hop was going to go into Budweiser, they chose Willamette, and they were picking between these two hops. One was called Columbia, one was called... Um, Willamette. They chose Willamette, so guess what? Farmer's not going to grow Columbia because there's not 2,000 breweries in the country like there is today. There was just, you know, 50 or something. So Columbia loses out. Well, this hop company found the rhizome. They said, we're going to grow this Columbia hop, the loser to Willamette in the big, here's what we're going to put in Budweiser. When they put it in the ground and grew it, they found out that the flavors were slightly different than what Columbia was supposed to be. So they just said, well, we'll name it something else. They named it Meridian because it was the farm is on Meridian Road. Kind of an interesting story. So it's got Meridian. It's also got some crystal in it and a little bit of Cascade. So. 
Any other questions right now? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. the, the brewery, um, the question is uh, the, the brewery in Placentia, California. Um, it's B-R-U-E-R-Y. His last name is R-U-E, so it's a play on that name. And they do bottle, and they do distribute. Um, most breweries will have a where to find our beer button on their site, although I will give you that. Um, some breweries still need some help in making sure you can find their beers. Um, they're getting better at it, but if nothing else, call the brewery and find out where you can get them. Uh, Patrick makes... Belgians are a fond spot for my heart, so I love his beers in particular, but they're really high quality. So look for that, and if you don't know, get a hold of one of us afterwards. We can help you. Okay. Okay, yeah. They, uh, sometimes they make the brewery beers just like the Oakshire beers or the Standing Stone beers for special occasions, too. Uh, but most, I think most of Patrick's beers are bottled and available. Depends on the distribution. You know, distribution's a funny thing in this country. We've got 50 different states, so it's pretty much 50 different entities. It's incredibly frustrating for everybody. Um, do you have some local beer stores here? Places you can go and buy a bottled beer and, and tap, things like that. You know, that's, that's a great trend. Please support those places. I'm going to guess that you all do. Um, but it's another great way to uh, show your beer love, support your local brewers, support the other brewers, and so forth. And those are great places to make requests like that. I happen to work with a small um, bottle shop in Southern Oregon. Same thing. We get requests from the East Coast all the time. You know, how about Harpoon? How about Magic Hat? How about this and how about that? You know, Gal, I'd love to be able to call Sam because I know him. He's, he's going to tell me the same thing he'd tell anybody. You know, we just, they've had to pull out of states because of all of us loving the beer so darn much. It's great. So that's unfortunately the way the animal is right now. So let's keep going. If you do have a question, just raise your hand and we'll make sure and get it in too. Um, the third beer is back to Larry. It's called Backyard Brew. So why don't you tell us about this beer? Backyard Brew is made... For tonight, uh, when we were uh, talking with Nancy Johnson, the events director of the BA, about uh, doing this salon, uh, I thought, well, let's model this beer after Belgian farmhouse sales. Uh, traditionally, farms in Belgium, Belgium would make beers from ingredients that came right off the farm. And so I went searching for ingredients that were as local as I could get. Uh, went with the Oregon Select Malt again, the same malt that was in the two beers we've already had. And then I found a small farmer in a town, Medford, 10 miles outside of Ashland, that was growing wheat. Uh, he's not certified organic, but he does everything probably more organically than, than, than certification would take. And so I was able to get 200 pounds of unmalted wheat uh, from this guy, and he delivered them to me right through my front door. That uh, was kind of cool. Uh, and so it was unmalted wheat, uh, this uh, two-row malt from uh, the Klamath Basin, and then honey as well. I was looking for a way to really dry out the beer, and most of the honey, sugars in honey is fermentable. So uh, I found a place in Eagle Point, uh, Oregon, which, again, is probably only about 15 miles from us, and uh, it's a maple blackberry honey. And, again... Like uh, Matt's beer, you're not necessarily going to pick up on a, a lot of flavor from that. I think there's a little spice character. I, there's definitely spice character in this beer, and, and some of that's probably coming from the honey. And uh, then again, local hops from uh, Oregon. Uh, there's a little coriander in there, only because the farmer had it. 
uh, this same farmer that had the wheat. Uh, he only had eight ounces. I wanted about 32. Uh, so you're not going to really notice coriander, yet it's part of the overall flavor profile, I think. Uh, yeah, question. So the question is, uh, she notices a lot of coriander and a lot of Belgian uh, wheats and saisons and such. I, the, the history of it, I, I know Belgian white ales or, or wits are, are traditionally made with coriander and orange peel, and, and that coriander flavor is usually very pronounced. Uh, I know well before hops were uh, a prevalent part of beer, spices were used. Uh, whatever was available, and I think in the Belgian region, and I'm, I could be making this up at this point, uh, coriander, was, coriander was well available, and so it became well, well, well used. Um, I know for me, I really like the flavor of coriander, and it co comes across very nicely in beer, uh, so... Yeah. So that's, that's the beer. Uh, we used a Belgian wheat yeast, and the, the yeast, it's all Oregon because it came from Y-East, which is a commercial yeast producer outside of Hood River, Oregon. So we were able to uh, make this an all-Oregon, very local beer again. Uh, we called it Backyard Brew just because it, the ingredients came out of our backyard. And uh, so that's pretty, uh, pretty cool. All right, I'm going to share a little bit about the cheese with you, too. So Rogue Creamery Cheese. Rogue has been around since 1957. Um, one gentleman, and I'm forgetting his name right now. I can see his picture when we were over at the tasting, but I can't remember him. He looks like your grandpa. Um, and they, uh, they went through kind of a mm, dip, and they were going to close the creamery, and then uh, David Grimmels and his partner, I think it was Carrie, um, bought the creamery and resurrected it under the agreement that this gentleman, um, who is like a, I don't know, multi-generational cheesemaker, um, would stay on and teach them everything he could about cheese. They only use non-standardized, non-BST whole milk in all their cheeses. And none of the cheeses except one that um, Rogue Creamery makes are pasteurized. And the one that they make that's pasteurized goes to New Zealand, or excuse me, to Australia, and the reason they do that is because since milk is a live product, if it got imported and something went askew, you could essentially pass that on to um, the local flora and fauna, and that's not a good thing. So they pasteurize it to make sure it's safe to import. Um, and apparently the Australians can't get enough of it. It's a fantastic cheese. It's called Florinelle. It's another blue cheese. This one is the Oregon blue. How appropriate. Um, and this was created half a century ago. Um, it's won some awards once again, and apparently cheese is a really competitive field. Do we have any cheesemongers or people that work with cheese here? Apparently it's pretty darn, uh, it's, a, it's a full field, and more and more all the time, which is great to see so many different uh, mongers and makers and growers and everything really thriving and uh, being supported uh, in our country to bring back that uh, you know, local idea. Um, it's aged at least 90 days in Roquefort Caves. 
and I don't know what that means, so you're going to have to ask them. It's a semi-soft texture. It's when we were doing the tasting like Matt was talking about with Tom Van Voorhees, their, their cheese shop manager. Tom totally geeked out. In fact, if you saw the notes in front of me, you'd kind of glaze over. So I'm not going to share all of them. They're great if you're a huge cheese head, like from Wisconsin or something like that, too. Um, but they're really proud of their cheese. It comes across high quality, just like Matt's Oakshire beers, just like Larry's Standing Stone beers. And, of course, the blue-green vein are random in the wheel. Um, they, they poke the holes to oversimplify, and then it goes from there. But has anybody ever done a flight of blue cheeses, like a tasting of a flight of blue cheeses? All right. I would, I would suggest you try that. I mean, obviously have some beer in the room, clearly, right? Um, but that would be an interesting thing, too, because blue cheese is, is different all over. But the Oregon blue, which you just wrapped your little taste buds around, is one of their signature blues, and uh, it's, it's creamier than some. Some, or, uh, some blue cheeses are drier and have a more crumbly texture and so forth, but um, this one certainly is lovely. It's aged for a minimum of 90 days, and away we go. All right, I think, I think we might be ready for number four, although we could just stay here inevitably, couldn't we? <laughs> I can tell that nobody's having any fun, so just try to stick with it till the end. Any questions for this course or, or any comments for this course or the other courses? We'd love to know what you think. No, no, not all at once, please. Good cheese pairing. What do you like about that cheese pairing? All of them, actually? Okay, what do you like about these cheese? What makes it good to you? Because good is a real moving target. Okay. <clears throat> Excellent. What's your name, my good woman? Hannah? Anna, I like that even better. So Anna's right. She, uh, she, I bet she's right off and she looks highly intelligent. So when you do cheese or, and beer tastings or any kind of be beer or alcoholic beverage and food tasting, one of the most effective ways to do it is to go from least intensity to highest intensity. So we started out, you're exactly right, this was very intentional when we were tasting all these beers, and yes, it's a labor of love, but we're willing to do it. Uh, table full of beer, table full of cheese. Um, you do look at how your mouth and your taste buds are going to respond. You don't want to kill yourself with something that's an imperial or something that has a lot of anything because you can really slant the rest of your enjoyment and we don't want to do that. We want to enjoy them in sequence. So these beers being moderate in alcohol help that. They're very lovely in flavor. They're full flavored, but they're subtle. They're lovely flavors. They last. You know, we got the after flavors, all those good things. And so that's why we, we strategically did that. So um, keep that in mind when you want to impress your friends. Have a beer and cheese potluck. Have everybody bring something different over. Wouldn't that be fun? Whose house are we going to after Saver tonight? Go ahead, raise your hand. Be generous. Walking distance? Yes, right there. Okay, we have a volunteer. She's in. Woohoo! <laughs> We're going to have extra beer and extra cheese. Look at him, he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Thank you for that volunteering. Okay, we are ready for the next beer. Yes, please. And Matt, uh, this is Matt's beer. Before Matt, you get into the beer, tell us why it's in the bottle it's in and tell us why it's corked. So the beer that we have for this fourth beer, which I'll give a little description of once you've got it in your glass, but these are uh, part of our Brewers Reserve series, which is the smallest series of beers that we have. We have these single batch beers, which are draft only. We have this uh, Spirits Barrel Age beers, which are we, in our Hellshire series. This is Brewers Reserve series, and they're mostly all wine barrel aged beers, sour beers. I like to call them wild ales. 
and we put them in these nice painted bottles, and we put different paper labels. I, actually, we don't have the label done for this yet. I just put a, a generic thing on there that I could write on so we'd know what they are um, this week. Um, but this is our, uh, you know, it's a special presentation. It's, it's a Belgian style of beer, or it's, it's, um, it's inspired by Belgian styles of beer. And the carbonation's a bit higher, or it will be once it's uh, fully carbonated, and I'll tell you about that in a second, too. Um, but putting that cork on there and this stronger bottle helps with that higher carbonation level. Um, and it's a beer meant for sharing as well. Um, you know, 750 milliliters, 25 ounces. Uh, this is a perfect table beer to, uh, you know, put for a nice dinner. And uh, just like you would a bottle of wine on your table. So about the beer, okay. Um, I I, will, uh, I don't want to forget this. I was thinking in my head a second ago. Ginger was telling us about the cheese. Please feel free to take these sheets that we gave you. We did it intentionally, not only because that way you'd know what we're doing and could follow along that way, but because of timing, the fact that we're passionate about the beers, we're not able to give you all the details about the cheese. But the sheets are a little more in depth. You know, like the. The smoky Tuvel that's smoked over hazelnuts, which if you don't know, is are grown in Oregon and it's the main producer, if not only, I don't know. We grow hazelnuts, they're also called filberts, and they use those to smoke the, the cheese, which I think is fantastic, using a local ingredient to burn them to make the smokiness. Uh, so take that with you if you'd like and learn more about the cheese that we presented to you today. Let me tell you about the beer. Uh, this beer is simply called Frambois. That is a French word for raspberry. Um, the local ingredient, the Oregon ingredient, is raspberries. Um, we, grow, we grow a lot of fruit. Yeah, you'll notice the color. Uh, we, uh, this is a, the base beer is a Belgian amber ale, so it was kind of, you know, amberish to, to light brown. Uh, we used, uh, it was also aged in Oregon Pinot Noir barrels. We're very fortunate in Oregon because we have so many wineries in the Willamette Valley. I can just drive to a winery and get a barrel for $30, $30 or something like that and age beers in it. Lucky us. Uh, and some, some wineries are so big and have so many barrels, and we can just give them some beer for their tasting room, and we can get free barrels as well. So we're very fortunate in that aspect. So this beer is uh, aged in a wine barrel with raspberries and also with Britannomyces, which is a wild yeast, and also lactobacillus, which is the same stuff that sours milk. So how many people have drank sour beers, wild ales? Okay, now how many people enjoy them? We have a very educated class today. Yes, this is great because I don't have to give all the background of what the heck it is. But what I will do then, since you guys do drink these beers, I'm going to tell you my biggest pet peeve, and then I'll tell you just a little bit more about the beer. People want to call these beers sours. For those of you who know your English and grammar, your grammar, sour is an adjective. It's not a noun. So don't call these beers sours. It's not a sour. You can call it a Lambic-inspired beer. I call them wild ales because it's got that wild yeast that we as brewers don't really know how to control yet and ferment. Britannomyces will continue to eat sugars and continue to eat sugars and not stop until it makes the beer really tart and sour and produces some acidity to it. Um, that's one of the reasons we call them wild ales. If you call it a sour beer or a sour ale, that's okay because you're describing it. But the problem with doing that is people will drink this beer, which you taste some sweetness from the raspberry, some tartness is in there from the lactobacillus, but it's not super sour. It doesn't burn going down your throat. It's not a highly acidic beer like some of the beers that are being produced, which are good. Um, exactly. It, it is, yeah, it's mildly tart. And so when you say sours, 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 suddenly everyone thinks, well, this isn't very sour, so they'll say it's not good. And we don't want an arms race like, well, that beer's not very hoppy, so it's not good. It's not hoppy enough. Um, the hoppiest beer wins. 
And I don't want the sourest beer to win because then you're just producing acid and you're burning people's throats and stuff like that. So that's my soapbox presentation. Call them something besides sours. Okay, this is a wild ale produced by us. This was aged for about uh, one year in Oregon Pinot Noir barrels with raspberries, as I mentioned. You get a nice combination of the sweet from the raspberry and the, and the tart from the wild organisms that are in there. Um, give a little smell, too, to the... Uh, I should be drinking this. Give a, give a good whiff. You smell, that, you smell that raspberry fruit, but there's also a little bit of a kind of a funky, some people might call footy. Uh, many times we call it barnyardy, but I, that's not always accurate because, you know, what's a barnyard smell like? But there might be some hay, um, just kind of some, some kind of off aromas, which you, you might say if you were drinking a, a pale ale or something, ooh, there's something funky in that. That's supposed to be in here. That's, um, those esters are produced by the Britannomyces. And so you get a in a light and crisp and tart ale, you get some very big complexities in this beer. And uh, that's what we have for you. Excellent. Thank you. Now I know how to push Matt's buttons. <laughs> With this one, we have um, the Lillabelle. Oh, and I'm not going to pronounce this right. It's a Mexican word. And I spelled it out phonetically in my book that I did not bring with me. Uh, the cheddar. A fresh... What do you say? Chocolate. All right. Good enough. Um, and you can tell by the marbling that she's, well, most of it's gone, which is a good thing to see. <laughs> um, it's a fresh cheddar curds. Has anybody been to a creamery before where they make cheese? Oh, there's another field trip you all need to treat yourself to. Watching cheese be made is quite remarkable. Do we have anybody from the Midwest in the room by any chance? Okay. Where are you, where are you from? St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. Anybody else from Midwest area? Yes, ma'am. Michigan, very good. Well, I grew up in Minnesota, right next to Wisconsin, another big old, you know, they call them cheeseheads on purpose. Um, so when you get the chance to go to a creamery, take it, because it's big, huge vats, and they, they run different blades through it, and they cut it, and they put it through different mills that actually cut it. So if you've seen cheese curds before, that's, that's what cheese, block cheese and, and cheeses start out as. And so that's why we see the marbling, because the spices and the different things they put in there then are the edges of those curds. So when we were doing the tasting at Rogue Creamery, it was quite interesting. Tom was a wealth of knowledge. Some cheese curds are very tiny, like the size of rice grains. Some are much larger, like the one we have here with this cheddar. Um, and this cheddar is, uh, I've used this in another cheese and beer um, tasting at the Oregon Cheese Fest. Um, and it's, uh, it's a mix of chocolate and cinnamon. It's got just a tiny touch of hot red pepper spice that's very mild. Because of the nice sweet ta no, tart, not sourness, can I say that? Is that okay, Matt? Okay. I can use it as a verb, not as a noun. Okay, I got it. Yes, adjective. Got it, got it. Um, so this cheese is quite versatile. If you had a chili beer, if anybody in here is like me and they love chili beers, this would be a fun one to try with a mild chili beer. This would also be an excellent cheese to try with a stout because you can get that chocolate flavor to come out and the enhancements there. This could probably be a really fun cheese for fondue because, you know, who doesn't like the idea of fondue? It should be fondue. Uh, but that's a, another bonus. So it's, it's that cocoa gives the marbling appearance, which, let's face it, appearance has everything to do with how we judge things. That's the kind of creatures we are. So the color that Matt was talking about. Of course, the color in your beer comes from the ingredients. Um, hopefully nobody in here is a beer racist and will never be a beer racist, meaning you won't judge your beer by the color 
because the color comes from the ingredients and simply sometimes it's just the color impartation. Um, so uh, questions, comments for these gentlemen. Otherwise, we can generate all kinds of other good things to talk about. Yes, sir. Thank you. Wild is also an adjective. Okay, very good. What I mentioned was you can call them sour ales. I just don't think it's as, as good because then it's like it has to be sour because then, right? But it, wait, wait, but it does, but it does. If you call them wilds, I would also be upset because that's not a noun either. So you can call them wild ales, but not wilds. Wild ales, but not wilds. No, no, no. You can call it wild ales. Just don't call it wilds. Yeah. I went to the store and bought a bunch of wilds. A bunch of what's? <laughs> that would be secondary. That would be my second choice. You can call it that. Okay. All right. All right. Um, but the second thing is, it's a fantastic beer, regardless. So, I mean, go ahead and talk well into the. Go ahead and talk. Yeah, very into well the done. There That's we go. A fa it was delicious, Rambois. Okay. Delicious. Thank you. Indeed. Other questions or comments? Yes, he's got one over there. We'll fill this. Yes. It's over there in the, there we go, that gentleman over there. It kind of looks like Matt Brindelson, doesn't he? From Firestone Walker. Good-looking man. Yes, go ahead. Well, that, then I'll stand up then. Um, <laughs> Very good. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. I came in just a couple minutes Larry? Late. Larry. I wanted to ask you, on the very first beer, you mentioned that some of the hops were sourced from an organic grower in Oregon. Can you just share the, who that was? Yeah, the organic grower is Alpha Beta Hops, and they are in Ashland, Oregon. They are beginning this summer their third or fourth year of production. And they, I think last year, produced about 800 pounds. Uh, they only have about an acre or so. So they're not a very large producer. When they go and pick their hops, they cut them down. Uh, it's nothing mechanized. They get an entire cadre of volunteers to come and hand pick the hops off the vines. And there's just these big tables of people hanging out picking hops. Uh, so very, very small producer. And uh, they are certified organic. And uh, they're, this year, they're actually, they are going to plant two other varieties. I know they're planting Nugget, and I can't remember this, the, the second variety new that they're planting. So, uh. There are dozens of varieties of hops. Has anybody been to a hops field before? Anybody? A couple of you? Okay. If you've never been, so I'm guessing the ceilings in here are probably about 30 feet, 25 feet tall. So hops is a bine with a B, meaning it uses hairs to climb up in a helix. A vine uses suckers or feet, and that's like the ivy that goes crazy wherever it's planted. So hops is a bine. It grows up a trellis. It's trained up a 20-foot string, essentially, and, and straight rows. And then it's harvested, and you have to start immediately dehydrating the hops. Hops is over 70% moisture. So if you let wet hops sit, what do you suppose is going to happen? It's going to start to rot, and it's going to start to self-combust, quite frankly. There have been hops, bales, fires, and it's just not the kind of thing you want to hear about. It's just a tragedy. It makes a tear to my eye. So hops, uh, if you ever get the chance, come on out to Oregon. Remember, you get some free beer from Oakshire and Standing Stone. Everybody remember that offer? Um, and it's, it's 20 foot tall, and they cut the binds, and the hops harvest is quite remarkable. It happens in late August, early September, depending on the growing conditions. Um, and um, 
because we are where we are, a lot of times we don't have to irrigate. Yes, thank you, Jaime. How about a hand for Nina and Jaime and the other crew? Yes, doing a great job. Thank you so much. So hops are a remarkable thing. They're not really used in a whole lot of other things, although they do have a lot of value to them. Soap um, and um, apparently a lot of, yeah, cheese, definitely. Make some great cheese. Um, shampoo would be great for your hair. Uh, so lots of other other uses that hops can be made for. Um, Matt, I want to ask you, would you share a little bit more, um, since the bio on you is a little brief, why don't you tell a little bit more about why you got into brewing? I was a science teacher before I became a brewer, so I had a love for the science. And when I started discovering craft brewers in the late 1990s, um, there was a, you know, I was home brewing also, and so I just loved the science of it. I got very fortunate to walk into a brewery um, who allowed me to help for free, which as Ginger was mentioning at the beginning of the presentation, that's often what you have to do. Clean kegs and sweep the floor and you might get a job. Um, and I quit teaching and did that, and I just love the creative aspect of making a beer, making something that I can produce with my own hands and a few ingredients and share with you. And most people, especially people that are here tonight, love beer and love beer for what it is. And so you're very appreciative. It's a, it's a, it's a beverage that makes us happy. <laughs> it's a beverage that brings us together socially. And uh, I made it and, and gave it to you. So that brings me a lot of pleasure to be able to be a brewer. Um, just the same way that a cook or a chef would say, I made this for you, enjoy. Um, they get the same pleasure out of that. So, so I got into that, got a passion for it, got a love for it. I was fortunate enough to work hard enough to, to continue my way up to the brewmaster level, I guess, the top dog at a brewery. Is, is how it works here in America, and then get a job in Oregon, which is Beervana, with the number of beers that we have, the number of um, the uh, places that serve good beer. That's the huge thing. For those of you who haven't been to Oregon, you need to come out and see. Many people, there's tons of great beer in this city. There's tons of great beer in New York. There's tons of great beer in Chicago. But you often have to know where to find it. You have to know where RFD is. You have to know where, you know, start naming the places. When you go to Oregon, you go to a bowling alley, Great beers. You go to a dive bar, great beers. You go to a strip club. I've heard you go to a strip club, and our beer is served. Our beer is served in Eugene strip clubs. They need good beer too. Um, I haven't been into Chuck on the Lines, but it's no joke. Why wouldn't they serve our beer and not Bud Miller and Coors? So, ah, oh, natural, yeah. You can go anywhere and find great beer in Oregon, and that's what we why we love to live there because your good beer is in every. We sell our beer in 7-Eleven, and we're happy with that because guess what? People walk into 7-Eleven and buy craft beer. It's true. It's a great place. Indeed. Oregon has, this is incredibly enlightening. I'm going to ask you next time where I should go to the strip club and have my beer. <laughs> Oregon has well over 160 agricultural crops alone. So it's one of those states that everything is just right. In Hood River, for example, which is way northern Oregon, just below the Washington border, it's stunning. Right on the Columbia River, um, orchards galore. The first time I ever went to Oregon was about three and a half years ago. And we flew into Portland. It was night. We drove up on this windy road that at night you're like, oh, I'm tired. And it's, you know, 1130 at night and it's rainy because it's Oregon. 
And, uh, and we woke up the next day, and it was like somebody flipped the magic switch. It was absolutely stunning. I couldn't believe I'd, I'd never seen orchards like that. I'd seen apple orchards and things, but it's just beautiful. And this isn't a plug for the state, but indirectly it is. So please come out and visit us. Um, time, so don't stay. <laughs> yes, if you, want, if you want warm weather, come during the true summer months, June, July, and August. Otherwise, it is quite moist, and it's lovely and nice and cool. We don't get very much snow. Uh, but we do have great conditions for so many agricultural crops. The hazelnuts that Matt mentioned, or Larry mentioned, I forget, it was, I think it was Matt, um, are a huge crop out there. We've got the hops, of course, and we've got just about everything in between. So it's quite extraordinary. So since Matt told us, Larry, how he got into beer, why don't you tell the people how you got into beer? Or maybe we should call you Brother Larry. I landed in beer because of flavor. In college, I rarely drank because I just didn't care for the flavor of beer that college students most often bought. And then I went to seminary and started drinking beer. <laughs> beer with flavor. Uh, the, you know, the best theological discussions took place over a beer at the bar at night. And it, I lasted a year at seminary. I like to say I found my higher calling and uh, became a brewer. It, there, was, there were probably a few years in between uh, that actually happening. Yet it was really flavor that struck me. And what is it that can create so many different flavors in one thing that we call beer? And to this day, it still astounds me uh, that I can sit down and you know, especially a particular beer style, take stouts or take pale ales, or take amber ales, and you line six of them up from six different breweries, and my gosh, there's a different flavor in all of them. And that's just astounding to me. Uh, and, and along with that flavor is smell. I mean, one of the great things about working in a brewery are the smells. Uh, it, it makes your day when you walk outside and that kettle's boiling away, and you take a big whiff of the air, and you can that that it's just a fabulous smell. So... That's, that's how I got into it. How many of you have toured breweries before? All right, excellent. Wonderful. Yeah, this is a group of overachievers. I love it. Very good. Um, and uh, let's see, what else do we want to know? Any other questions or comments? Yes, sir. The question... Sure. So the question is, how about barrel aging? What does that actually look like, and how does that actually work? So there are a whole lot more barrels, uh, barrel-aged beers being presented. There's a whole lot of them on the floor, which we should get to real soon. Uh, <laughs> although I'm coming for two nights, so I'll get to try them all. Uh, so with barrel-aging beer, it's just that. And every, uh, it's pretty much what you said, and I'll repeat it here in just a second. Um, every brewer is going to have their own theory and, and procedure on how they do it. Some people like to rinse out a barrel. I don't, because that rinses out some of the... Often you'll get a barrel, and it, let's say it's a bourbon barrel, and you can slosh it around, and you can hear liquid inside. They didn't get it all out. You want to leave that, or you want to tip it into a glass and drink some, which we do. Um, but if you rinse it, you're doing that because you want to make sure it's sterile inside and doesn't cause any problems with your beer. That's a risk I'm willing to take because I want that good bourbon or whiskey, or we have gin barrels as well, and, and it picks up from the spirit. You also get some flavors coming from the wood itself uh, when the beer soaks into it. The same kind of vanillin uh, compounds um, that t you know make coconut and vanilla, vanilla and, and um, cinnamon, 
those things that are in whiskey and bourbon also get into your beer as well. So what you do is you put it in, you decide how long you want it there. Some people put them in for a year plus. Some people put them in for three to six months, and they feel that's enough. Um, what we do is we have a nail. We, they lay on their sides. We fill them up. There's a little nail hole. I learned this from Vinny Trilurzo at Russian River. Uh, he tells me the McMaster car catalog number of the size of nails and the size of drill bit. You drill a hole with your glass in your hand or have a friend come over and help you and have their glass there. And you catch it as the beer comes out, and then you stop it up with a nail. So then you can just take a pliers and pull your nail out for sampling, and it just comes squirting out of the barrel. So the reason you do that is because you just keep tasting it. Not every day, but maybe every three months. You, you could. You could. <laughs> small, small little breweries like, like Larry's, he has nothing else to do except go try his barrel-aged beers. <laughs> We're very busy, so I'm sure he is too. Uh, you have to taste it, and people say, well, when's that beer coming out? You, I heard you had an Imperial Stout in a bourbon barrel. I heard you had a Wild Ale uh, aging, a, a, a sour aging. Uh, and when's it coming out? Well, you don't know because every barrel's different. It's unique. Um, every beer that you put in is unique, so the impact of the, the barrel and the spirit that was in it is going to be different. And so what you do is you just keep tasting it, and when it says, that's awesome, then you package it up and, and sell it. So uh, it is quite labor-intensive to go up to your tank and fill all the barrels and stack them up and leave them there and then and, and pull them down and then you have to either pull them into kegs and carbonate them or, uh, or pump them into a bright tank and carbonate it in there. So it's a lot more labor to do that and that's part of the reason you see a higher cost on them. Also, you're buying the barrel, which you may or may not use again. So a lot involved in it. Yeah, so th this bottle is a typical Belgian bottle. It's got a little thicker, thicker glass to it. Not only is the presentation nice um, on this style of a bottle, um, it, these, this beer, when it gets its full, real label on it, will retail for $20, but there's a lot uh, wrapped up in, in the presentation of the bottle with the cork and the cage. But this provides, lets you carbonate it to a higher level and gets that real spritzy, big head uh, carbonation on it. And we do these for our Brewers Reserve. We have a great graphics artist who paints all these bottles, and then we just slap a different label on it, um, whichever beer we put into those bottles. So, Thank you. Any other parting comments or questions for Matt or Larry? Excellent. Yes, sir. Why, why is Larry one of the skinniest brewers he's ever seen? You know, my comment to that is never trust a fat brewer. Because in a small brewery, there's a lot of hard work, physical labor, and if so, therefore, you work it all off. All right, one last thing I'll mention. Matt said, encourage you to take the paperwork with you. Please do. I can also tell you that I'm going to post this menu on the Women Enjoying Beer site, too. So if you choose um, to leave it behind or if you forget it somewhere, um, you can reach out to any of us, quite frankly, and we can get it to you. We are so glad you're here. Thank you so much for your extra participation. Enjoy Saver. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Saver Salon. Craft Beer Radio is a mostly weekly beer podcast where we attempt to educate and entertain. If you haven't heard our podcast, we invite you to find us in iTunes or go to our website, craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Please visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.